Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. I'm going to finish up a sermon series that I started a few weeks ago called uh, Songs from the Cave. Has anyone been, uh, has, has God been, spe- I was going to say, has anyone been enjoying, but I, I don't think I'll say that. Has God been speaking to anyone through this sermon series, Songs from the Cave? Yeah? Awesome. Well, that was, that was, that was semi-Pentecostal. If God's really been speaking to you, would you just give like a charismatic, Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. Nice. Um, man, well, I'm telling you, um, it's been, it's been a, a journey for me um, reading through Psalm 142, studying Psalm 142, thanks, Jonathan, and um, bringing it to you every single Sunday. Um, and uh, boy, there's so much depth in these passages. And so I want to jump right into that and start reading from Psalm 142. We have it up here on the screen for you. And uh, it start, let's start off actually with the description of the psalm. The description of the psalm is that it is a, a mach, a, 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 the, the way you pronounce it is machil. When, 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 you, when you're a little bit congested, that's really difficult. Um, but typically, it's a machil, and, uh, which means a didactic poem. It's an instructional poem. This is a poem by David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, for us as a, as a point of instruction to know what we should do whenever we are in a cave, whenever we're in a difficulty, because it says it is a masculine of David when he was in the cave. It's a prayer. And so in verse 1, he says, I cry aloud to the Lord. No scriptures? Deleted it. Okay. Um, I'll just read it. You all listen. This is a prayer. Um, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Man, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Um, That was probably the most controversial of my sermons uh, lately. Because that doesn't fit with um, the American culture. It doesn't fit with the Texan culture. It doesn't fit with, with what we were brought up to think. The fact that God would instruct us to pour out before him our complaint. Uh, we are told not to complain. If we complain, it's a sign of weakness. If we complain, it's a sign that, that it'll only get worse. It's, if, if we complain, it's a sign that we are bad people. And yet scripture tells us to pour out before him your complaint. If you don't pour it out before him, you will bottle it up to yourself. So you have to find an an outlet for your complaints. And he is your outlet. He is the one that you can go to and you you can pour out your complaint to him. He won't judge you. In fact, he's he's asking you to do this. I feel like I feel like some of us have got stuck in the cave and like like you didn't even hear my sermon from last week because you were stuck in, in this one. I feel like you have to learn this. You have to get past this. You have to be able to truly complain to God. And that may take some time, I understand. Uh, Because, you know, decades of of doing things a certain way can sort of get you locked into habits. But, But man, if you can learn 
If you can learn to accept the fact that God knows best, and that when God says, hey, complain to me, that's actually a good thing, even though it feels weird and it feels awkward, it's so important that we complain to God. And this is what he says, I pour out, don't just drip it out, don't, don't just give him one or two, but dump out all of your complaints before him, and before him it says, I tell my trouble. That word trouble is an interesting word. It's translated trouble in English, but um, in the Hebrew, it means uh, rival wife. What? <laughs> Thought I would drop that on you. Make sure you're paying attention. It means a rival wife. Now, many of us here in Texas don't have much experience with polygamy. Um, you know... But in these days, uh, polygamy was pretty common. Um, and, and in fact, some people, they, they, they look at the Old Testament of Scripture and they say, well, see, see, there was polygamy in the Old Testament, therefore God believes in polygamy or God approves of polygamy. Um, that's definitely not true. Um, anybody who says that has never actually read the Old Testament. Um, because if you read the stories, number one, you see that when God created humans, he created a male and a female, and he put one male and one female together, and he called that marriage. And he defined marriage for us, and so he, he defined it in that way. And then ever since that happened, humans have been trying to m make it better. And all we've managed to do is jack it up. And so one of the first ways that humans decided to make it better was they said, hey, if one woman is good, two women are even better. And I'm not going to argue that point too strongly, except to say that as a husband, I can just tell you, I, I find it really difficult to love one woman well. I, maybe I'm the only one that's willing to be honest around here, but I find it very difficult to love one woman well. It is impossible to love two women well, which is why uh, when you read the Old Testament and the stories of polygamy, that's why I say anybody who thinks the Bible approves of or thinks polygamy is a good idea, they haven't read the Bible because almost every time you have a polygamous marriage, you have massive trouble from a guy who's trying to love multiple women well, when he was only created to love one woman. So what usually happens in those stories, the patriarchs and, and those, those stories in the Old Testament, what usually happens is the man loves one woman well and the other woman poorly. And the woman he loves well is typically called the rival wife. The one who is receiving the affection that the other one ought to be receiving as well. And when David says that he pours out his complaint to God, he, 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 before him he brings his trouble, he, the word for trouble is rival wife. In other words, there's somebody or something that's stealing the affection that ought to come to me. That's what he's bringing before God. Which is why it's a complaint, because it's not just, it's unjust what's happening to him. And so David and God, I, I love the fact that God knows that we have injustices that happen in our lives. And he encourages us to bring those before him, to tell uh, him about them. And so this, is what the, so this is what he does. He says, I tell him of my rival wife. When my spirit grows faint within me, he says, it is you. 
who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. I talked about that last week. Uh, talked about hidden snares, secret snares. Uh, snares that have been laid down in our path before we were even born. Um, from our parents and our grandparents and generations before us and dealing with some of those things. So if you want to listen to that, you can go to the podcast online. And then he says in verse 4, and this was the most impactful verse for me personally, uh, so I preached on this in week one. Uh, he says, look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge and no one cares for my life. And so in verse five, he says, I cry to you, Lord. Uh, I hope if you don't get anything else out of this sermon series, you learn how to cry to God. I say, you are my refuge my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Interesting coming from David, the giant killer. David, who killed a thousand Philistines and brought pieces of their body back to Saul. Uh, they, the, the, his, his enemies were never too strong for him. And I, I'm probably, the, your enemies are not the ones that are too strong for you. Typically, the sharpest knife won't come from in front. It'll be the one that comes from behind. His, the, one, the guy that was too strong for him was his mentor, who should have had his back. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. And then in verse 7, this is what I want to focus on today. He says, set me free from my prison. It's interesting, this cave that he has gone to, that he's run to, to find shelter. This cave that he is hiding in uh, to save him from the one who's pursuing him. This cave where he's uh, being protected from the elements is now what he calls his prison. And he says, set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. And along with this psalm, we've been reading stories in David's life that correspond with the time when he wrote this psalm. Um, we're going to go to that story again here in 1 Samuel chapter 22, um, verse 1. tells us that David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Oftentimes, the, the, the cave that you're going to is a place you've gone to escape. It's a place of escape. And that's what he did. He escaped to the cave. And his brothers in his father's household heard about it. They went down to him there. And those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with them. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? We talked about that a few weeks ago, how there's some, there's some relatives you're going to have to drop off. <laughs> <laughs> the cave is not big enough for everybody. And by relatives, I don't even necessarily mean, you know, family, actual uh, blood family. Sometimes maybe that's true, but I mean, there, 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 there's some thoughts that, um, some thinking, some processes that you're used to having, some, some habits that you're used to having, some, some, some well-worn grooves in your life, some old friends maybe not even real friends, but in your own heart, that you're going to have to get out of the cave. When God takes us into a cave, he doesn't just take us into a cave to take us out of the cave. He takes us into a cave to take something out of us. 
And so he wants us to pour out our complaints because that's what's clogging our praise. And so he, he's trying to get our complaints out. He also takes us into a cave to, to take out some of these relatives that have gathered around us and crowded us in. And so he says, I'm going to leave my father and mother with you until I learn what God will do for me. So he left them with the king of Moab and they stayed with him. And this next phrase is interesting. They stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. In verse 5 says, But the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth, which is in the land of Judah. The verse uh, I want to focus on from Psalm 142 is verse 7, where he says, Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. You can see the song building. Um, if this is a song from the cave, it, it's really kind of a ballad. Um, it starts off very softly. It starts off, um, actually it's, it's, it's sort of like a Bethel song, really. It, uh, there's a bit of atmospheric ooze. And, and, then, and then there's a soft first verse Right, where he says, I cry, verse 1, he says, I cry to the Lord. You know, it's not even specific words. It's not even uh, uh, any kind of actual request. He's just crying to the Lord. Tears are coming down his face. He, start, his, he starts his prayer or his song very low, where all he can do is cry to the Lord. And then he ramps it up a little bit, right? He gets into the first chorus and he, and he says, I, I pour out my complaint to him. Now we're talking about specifics. Now we're talking about actually um, speaking to God words of things that are on our hearts that we're dealing with. And so it's kind of ramping up a little bit. And then, then, then he builds it even further and he says, rescue me from those who pursue me. Now his prayer is asking God specifically to do something on his behalf. So this is, this, is, this is where in the Bethel songs where the chorus is like strong and powerful and it's great. And, 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 that's, and, and that's near the end. But when he get, by the time he gets to verse 7, he now says, set me free. This is like the strongest call to God. The strongest cry for freedom throughout the entire song. I mean, this is the part where like, you know, like in the Bethel songs where we've, where we've sung the, the bridge like five times. You know, like the first time you sing it soft, the second time keys come in, the third time electric and acoustic sort of come in, fourth time the drums kind of start thumping, and by the fifth time we got synth, we got electric, we got drums, we got voices, all like the, there's only like one lyric and it's on the screen and we're belting it out, you know, it's, it's reaching that fevered pitch in the song and it's at the point, like that's the climax of the song, that's the top of the excitement of the song, and at the very top, I find it interesting that at the very top of this song about despair, about grief, about complaints, about people pursuing him, about difficulty, about sorrow, about loss, at the very top of this song is a cry for freedom. He says, set me free. He doesn't say, make me feel better. He doesn't say, heal my heart. He doesn't say, 
uh, wrap me in your arms, wrap me in, which that's a good one, but, but he, 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 says, he says, set me free. It's just, it's just an interesting twist for me because it, how does that relate to the rest of the song? If I'm writing a song and I have this big strong ending and it's, it's all coming to this point, freedom is an interesting point to come to. He says, set me free. And I, I think one of the reasons why that is the climax of the song is because that is God's ultimate goal for each and every one of us. That in whatever season we may find ourselves, that in whatever loss we may have experienced, whatever grief we may have gone through, that God's ultimate goal in bringing us through all of these things is our personal freedom. He wants us to be free. Scripture tells us that uh, it is for freedom that we have been set free. Scripture tells us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Jesus said, Jesus said, I, 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 when, when, when Jesus' first sermon ever, he stood up and he read from the book of Isaiah that said, I have come to proclaim freedom to the captives. And so God's greatest goal for your life is your freedom. He wants your freedom, and freedom is not the abil your ability to do whatever you may want because then you're a slave to your wants. Freedom is the ability to say yes to God and say no to those things which would destroy you. Freedom is, is the ability to walk with God freely, without guilt, without pressure, without weight, without condemnation, and to truly discover who you are in Christ. And this is the freedom that he wants for each and every one of us. And God wants freedom for you, not just for you to be free, but your freedom is tied to his fame. Because people have been watching you. People have been living with you. People have been noticing and observing you for years. But when you start to get free, this is the greatest testimony of God's goodness to you. That's what David said. People will gather around me. Then the righteous, he said, will gather around me because of your goodness to me. God's goodness to us is demonstrated and most clearly seen in the freedom that we experience. Which is why we celebrate when Nick comes forward and is baptized. Which is why we celebrate when he comes out of rehab and turns his life around. Which is why we celebrate when last Sunday two people gave their lives to Jesus praying with me at the end of service. Because that's why we do what we do for people to find freedom. We don't do it so that people will pray a prayer. We don't do it so that people will become more religious. We don't do it so that people will learn to dress right and talk right and watch the right movies. We do it so that in people's real everyday life, they will experience the freedom that they've never been able to experience before. David said, set me free so that I may praise your name. So I guess the question is, well, uh, does, does the prison that you're in stop the praise of God. Does the prison that you're in stop the praise? Because this is what David said, set me free from my prison so that I may praise your name. And that's the question. Does, do, do, do prisons stop praise? Well it, well, it depends actually. 
Because there are, there, there, there's Psalm 34, which David also wrote, and he said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. So even if I'm in a cave, or if I'm in a dungeon, or if I'm in a prison, that God's still worthy of my praise. And so to some extent, you don't have to get out of a prison to start praising God. Uh, Acts 16, I think it is, where you have Paul and Silas, and they are down in a dungeon, in a type of a cave, in the bottom of the dungeon. It's midnight. They look at each other, and they say, man, I feel like God is still worthy. Even though I am enchained, even though I've been abused, even though I've been mistreated, I feel like God is still worthy of my praise because he's still been providing for me. He's still been faithful to me. He's still with me in the dungeon. And so they start singing hymns right? Um, they start singing spiritual songs. So we got the Bethel in there too. They, they start singing, they start singing songs of praise. They, they start filling up their cave or their dungeon with the praise of God. And then God responds to the praise, shakes the, the chains and the bonds and the doors that are blocking them and releases the prisoners, not only themselves, but they release others who are in the cave with them through their praise. So your prison doesn't necessarily have to block your praise. Your situation doesn't have to change for you to change your song. The song of the cave, the song that comes out, the songs that should come out of your cave are not country songs. <laughs> There'll probably be some country songs that'll come out. Verse one is a country song. <laughs> right? There will be some songs of complaint coming out. That's like verse three, uh, Taylor Swift songs, maybe. I don't know. There will be some, so <laughs> sorry. There will be some songs of complaint. There will be some songs of God, this isn't working out the way I thought it would. There will be some songs like that. There will also be some songs of God, I, I need you to rescue me. These things are too strong for me. Right? There, there, there will be some, strongs for, some songs for rescue, but the ultimate song that ought to be resonating from your cave is a song of freedom. That when I came into this cave, I was bound by all of these things. David was bound by the lack of affirmation that he had from his dad. David was bound by this need to prove himself. David was bound by so many things when he went into the cave, but when he came out of the cave, he came out differently than he went in. The song that ought to come out of your spirit in a cave is a song of freedom, that God has taken something out of me. God has removed some chains from me. He has brought freedom to my life through the situation that I was in. It's a song of freedom that ought to, in the end, ought, ought to come out of your cave. And so for David, he's starting with that song. He started with the, the sad song and then the complaining song and then the rescue song. And now he is crying out to God for freedom, not only, not only asking for freedom, but he is sure that freedom is coming. He says, then after you have rescued me, after you have freed me from my prison, then the righteous will gather around me because of your goodness to me. He ends on a note of complete faith that God is going to do for him what he cannot do for himself. And that's the kind of praise you have to have in the middle of a difficult situation, in the middle of a dark situation, in the middle of, of a cave. You have to have a belief that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think, that God is good, that his faithfulness endures forever, that even though I can't see the sun rising outside this cave, I believe that God is still working on my behalf 
behalf when I can't even see him. In the middle of prison, you can still have praise, but there are some prisons that do block your praise. And that's why David said, set me free so that I may praise your name. Because, because you can be in prison, you can be in a prison situation, but you can actually experience freedom within that prison situation. Having done prison ministry for several years, I can tell you some of the freest people I've ever met are locked up. Some of the freest people, some people that are, have finally found out who they are. Uh, I started prison ministry when I was um, 22. I was in Bible college and there was a local prison in Circleville, Ohio. And um, it was a it was a it was a, a facility um, for boys only um, sex offenders from the age 22 to 20 or uh, 12 to 21. And we would go in with them every week, and we would have church. You know, we would sing, and um, I would preach, or one of my friends would preach, and then we'd break up into small groups, and we would sit and talk uh, to these boys, these children. Uh, that had either found themselves in crazy situations, had done crazy things. And there was about 30 of them that would come. There was about 200 uh, young men on the unit. And um, the, the 30 that would come, they're all getting stared at by all the other guys, and they're getting stared down, you know, because it's a weak thing. You're weak if you go to church, and you don't want to show weakness in prison. And, and so I knew that it, it was costly for them to, to come and to meet with us, but we would meet with them, and we would talk with them, and we would keep them accountable. We'd share about the things that God was doing in their life, and it was amazing how, how, how they were so bound when they were free. <laughs> And now they're so free when they're bound. It's just, it's just interesting how your situation, like what, what I mean by bound when they were free, I mean they used to be able at that, like they used to be able to go for a walk whenever they wanted. They used to be able to go to the mall whenever they wanted. They used to be able to eat whatever they wanted, but they weren't free. They were a captive to the slave master on the inside. And, and now they, they weren't able to eat whatever they wanted. They weren't able to go wherever they wanted. But they had, they had found someone who was greater than the captive that was holding them captive. And they had, they had found someone to put faith in and trust in. And they had seen chains on the inside break. And so, and so that's what I mean when I say that your circumstance doesn't necessarily have to change. That's what I mean when I say you can be out here in the outside world, you can be free to eat whatever you want and go wherever you want and marry whoever you want and do whatever you want, but that's not real freedom. There's, that's, that's, that's a circumstance of freedom. Or you might be in a situation where you feel like you're trapped and you feel like you're stuck in, in a marriage that you don't want to be in or with children that you don't want to be or you're stuck in a, in a job that you don't want to be in and you feel that there's not much freedom within that job. It's a bit of a cave situation. But even within a difficult situation, there can be freedom inside of your heart because I've seen it in some of the most difficult situations. And so, and so if you can be in prison and be free, I think you can be at your job and be free. I think you can be married to your spouse and be free. Not as bad. Uh, God, freedom, when God sets you free, you are free indeed. You're really, truly free on the inside. 
And this, I feel, is the point of all grief. This is the point of all weighty situations and burdens and heaviness in our life is God is, is trying to free us of stuff that is holding us captive on the inside. He's not necessarily here to change your circumstance and your situation as much as he is here to change you. He's here to renovate you. He says, set me free so that I may praise your name. He didn't need to change necessarily the, the cave that he was in as much as he needed to change his heart that was in the cave. And when he had freedom in his heart, when he had freedom in his heart, that's when he was able to praise. Your, 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 your praise is going to be on the other side of your freedom. Your, 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 your best, your most powerful worship is going to come as a result of your most personal breakthrough. That on the inside of you, when something is released, when something is freed, when something is empowered, when, when who you are on the inside is revealed to you and you start walking in that and living in that, this is where true praise and true worship come from. This is where it doesn't matter who wrote the song or how good the song is. It's not about a song. It's about connecting with God for what he has done for you. And this is why ultimately praise is personal. Worship is personal because it's between you and a God who has met you and who you have met. Otherwise, you're just singing a song or you're just thinking about a potential deity out there. But when he has done something for you, when he has set you free from things you could not get free from yourself, that is when it activates praise. That's why he says, when you set me free, when you do something inside of me, when you change me, then I will be able to praise your name. And there is, there is this place, there's this cave that, that we may have found ourselves in. And some of those caves are, are, are we, we, we can't help it. Some of us are, are thrown into grief um, through no fault of our own situations and circumstances. Some of us are stuck in certain places and we just can't get out of it. And perhaps God doesn't want you to rush out of it. Perhaps God doesn't want you to, to hurry up and, and get past it and get over it. There's certain things like that, but there are, there, there, there are areas and ways in which we need to start making steps out of the cave. The one, one, one thing I don't want people to walk away from in this sermon series is that, well, life is just tough, and so I just need to pour out my complaint to Jesus every single day and, and just keep complaining. <laughs> you you got to, I mean, you got to pour it out so that you can be emptied of it. It's not supposed to be a residual thing. You know, you don't pour it out and then drink it and then pour it out and then drink it and then pour it. Like this isn't how it's supposed to work. There has to be some movement out of the cave. I want, I want to see you, yes, experience the power of grief. Yes, utilize it in your life. Don't, 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 don't add shame to it. Instead, bring Jesus into it. But then allow Jesus to guide you out of this place of darkness, out of this place of sadness, out of this place of heaviness. That, that, that even if you're still in that same situation, that there can be freedom that comes out of you. Because there are some caves that if you don't, if you don't get out of them, it, 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 your cave will become your grave if you never leave it. It's, it just will. You'll be stuck there forever. 
if you never walk out or JT said run out, um, I would probably say crawl, <laughs> climb, clutch, grasp, somehow make movement toward the entrance. If you never get out of that cave, then, you'll, then, then you will die there and you, that will be your legacy. You'll never see what God had for you on the outside. You'll never see, like, you, you, you'll never see the purpose that God had in the pain. The purpose is seen outside of the cave. You pour out your complaints. You, 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 you lay hold of God. You acknowledge the injustices. You, 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 you find healing in him and in his love for you. But then you must start making movement out. Otherwise, otherwise, there are some caves that we go into that God never intended for us to stay in. Uh, one, of our, one of our members this past week posted a, uh, a link to an article which I had heard about about 10 years ago. My wife is from New Zealand, and so when I visited New Zealand with her about 10 years ago, um, she told me about this famous sheep in New Zealand, a sheep called Shrek. Anybody ever heard of the sheep called Shrek from New Zealand? True story. They called him Shrek because, yeah, that guy. Uh, the massive, massive amount of wool. You think it's a big sheep. It's really not. It's a normal size sheep only grow so big. That's just his wool. And what happened, uh, according to the story, is that this sheep um, didn't like to be sheared. By the way, um, New Zealanders have all kinds of sheep. Like if you go to New Zealand, there's sheep everywhere. It's like their main thing. And so anyway, he's become a bit of a mascot for the country and he travels around. They take him to kids shows and stuff like that in schools. And uh, what, what, what happened is this particular sheep didn't want to be sheared. Right? He didn't like getting grabbed and wrestled and, and buzzed and all the, all, all the, he didn't like losing his coat all the time. And so apparently uh, for fear of being sheared, he, 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 he wandered off into a cave and he went into the cave for six years. He survived in a cave for six years as his, as his wool was getting larger and larger. And finally, they ended up finding, the, the, the shepherd didn't realize he had lost him. They ended up finding him. I think, I think they heard him bleeding like, bah, bah, bah. that's my, my sheep impression, <laughs> from inside the cave because he was dying. Because he literally had become so full of his own wool that he wasn't able to eat anymore. He couldn't, he couldn't reach down and get the grass anymore. <laughs> and so, you know, I, th I thought that was interesting because as we're talking about caves, man, there, there, it's good to go into a cave for a minute. But you do need to come back out. Because otherwise, you get so full of your own wool that... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that you won't you won't even be like like it's not it's not it's not a more it's not like, it's not like morally oh you ought to come out no this is damaging to you for you to get so full of your own stuff so full of your own thinking so full of your own patterns so full of yourself and 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 whenever we don't want to give like 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 i find it amazing that this 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 sheep didn't want to share his wool but the thing he didn't want to share was the thing that ended up choking him nearly to death the stuff you don't want to get rid of the stuff you don't want to release to god that's the very thing that will end up killing you 
which is why we talk about giving of our finances to God, so that your finances don't take charge of your life, so that you don't live and die based on, based on the economy and the stock market, that your hope is in Jesus and not in your bank account. Because if you're going to keep all this stuff, Jesus said, whoever seeks to keep his life will end up losing it. But those who lose their life for my sake will find it. I'm telling you, no matter what fear has driven you into the cave, it is worth your time to step out of it and to let go of the things you're trying to hold on to. Because sheep, like you and I, were not created to live alone. I find it fascinating. You know, I was, Ro was telling me about that story 10 years ago, and I said, well, how, how do sheep survive in the wild then? Because horses' hooves, you know, like their, their hooves keep growing, but they have the rocks that they run on, and that wears their hooves down. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't know a lot about animals, but deer have antlers, and they rub those on trees, and that kind of wears them down. Like, what do the sheep do? And, th and, and, and this is where I don't, even, I don't even know. And maybe that's why like one of the first jobs God ever created was a shepherd because he created animals that were reliant on shepherds so that they didn't you know, like get so big that they died. And the very thing that the shepherd needed from them was the very thing that they needed to release to the shepherd. Maybe that's why throughout scripture, God's always saying, you are my sheep. The very thing I'm asking from you is the very thing you need to release in order to live. And so to come out of the cave is actually to come into life, is actually to come into who you were meant to be and how freely you were meant to live. You see how bound that sheep is by his own wool. I feel like we get bound by our own thoughts and our own thinking and we, we, we get stuck in this. And so to take these things to the Lord and then to leave them there. That's, that's the trick, isn't it? What's that old song? Um, take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. We used to have a Gaither, Gaither video. I, I love that song. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. It's, it's easy to take them there, but it's difficult to leave them. We like to take them and then pick them up at the end of church and take them on back home with us. But to take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there, this is where you will find lightness. This is where you will find freedom. This is where you will find joy and peace when you're able to take it to the Lord and leave it there. When you're able to go into the cave, pour out your complaint, bring your concerns to him, and then leave it in his hands to do with as he pleases and as he wills to take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. That's, that's the key. And so, and so this, is, this is what David does. David, David goes into a stronghold in 1 Samuel 22. But then the prophet tells him, you need to leave the stronghold. You need to leave the stronghold and return to Judah. You've been in the cave long enough. You've been in a place of safety. You've been in a place of escape for a while now, but now you need to leave that place of escape and go into a place of purpose. To position yourself. This is all he's asking him to do, to position yourself. He says, he says look, you, you, you can't stay in the cave and 
and be ready to do what God's called you to do at the same time. You have to, even if you don't feel that it's the right time, even if you don't, you don't sense. He, David didn't feel it was time to get out of the stronghold. The prophet came and said, look, God is telling you to get out of the stronghold, to get out of the cave, to go position yourself, to get yourself in the right position, to go to Judah where I will use you, where I will anoint you, where I will king crown you, where, where, where all of my promises will be fulfilled. But you have to get out of this place that you have turned to for safety. And so this is what he does. He, he gets out of there. And then in Psalm 56, he wrote this psalm, which is in that same period of time. He says, in God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God, I trust and am not afraid. What can man do to me? In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I trust and am not afraid. What can man do to me? In God, whose word I praise. He's praising the word of God. Because there came a point when he felt safe in the cave, but God said, you need to get out of the cave. And so there comes a point where we can praise God, of course, for who he is, but then to acknowledge the sufficiency of his word in our life, both his written word and scripture, but also his spoken word, what he's speaking to us, that he has a word for us, that he's speaking to us, that we're able to hear his voice as his sheep and put our faith in his word and praise his word. Because his word is worthy of praise. His word is powerful. I mean, it was his word that, that, sp that spoke into nothingness. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth with nothing but his word. He walked into, uh, as, as the Latin ver ver phrase is ex nihilo, out of absolutely nothing, he stepped in and created everything with his word. His word is powerful. His word, his word is what came against uh, all of Egypt. Remember when he, sent, when he sent Moses to Pharaoh and Pharaoh said, look, I have a word from my God. Let my people go. And Pharaoh said, who is your God that I should listen to his word? Why should I respect his word? And then he found out who God was when at his word, God basically turned upside down the enemies of God's people and, and completely brought, God brings freedom to us through his word. If God is calling you, that's why, that's why I, I mentioned about giving earlier on, if God's nudging you, calling you to give, then God is backing up his word with his power. When he commands you to do something, if it's giving or if it's attending a small group or if it's making a commitment to go to church every Sunday, when, when, he, when his word comes to you along with the package of his word is included the instruction manual for how to obey it, that's the Holy Spirit, but also the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he's calling you to do. So his word is worthy of praise because not only is it informative, but it's also empowering. It gives you the ability to do, ability that you don't even have on your own comes to you. The resources of heaven are contained within the word of God. That's why when the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us and, and, and he noticed that 5,000 people were hungry that he was preaching to and they didn't have any food and they brought him five loaves and two fishes. The word of God could take five loaves and two fishes and multiply it and feed every single one of those people. The word of God is able to bring the resources of heaven to bear on your behalf. And maybe that's what God wants me to share with just, just somebody here today. 
that you don't see how it could work, that you don't see how you are able, that you don't see how you can do this. You got five loaves and two fishes, but the, when the word of God blesses it, when the word of God breaks it, and when the word of God starts doling it out, he has unlimited resources because it's connected to his riches in Christ Jesus, in the living word of God. And to praise the word of God is to recognize the power of the word of God and the sufficiency of the word of God. All I need is a word from God. I don't need an explanation from God. I need a word from God because a word of God is enough for me to move in the direction he's calling me to move. And so whatever cave you're in, if you can hear the word of God over your life telling you the next step, I guarantee you that is enough to get you out of that cave. That is enough to move you from darkness to light. That is enough to transform your family tree. That is enough to do what you and your parents couldn't do on your own. God can do with one single word. And every year, I always pray and ask God for a word from him for the year. That would be a rhema. That would be a spoken word for him to speak to my heart and share with me something for the year. And this year, God spoke to me the word harvest. And it's the first time he's ever given me that word before. And I shared that with you all back in January. I always spend time in January fasting and praying, asking God for a word. And I shared that word with you all. And I think one of the, as, now that I'm 11 months in, and we're almost done, we got one month left. I'm telling you, I have seen such a harvest in City Chapel. I've seen, th what's a harvest? It's when new stuff starts growing out of the ground. I've seen such a heart, I've seen such stuff grow from the ground. I've seen such things just come up from the ground. Just even physically, stepping into this building on Thanksgiving Day, I came in to grab something and I just had to just sit and pray and thank God and worship. Because a year ago, we didn't have a building. We were setting up and tearing down. We were putting, our walls were made of drapes. They weren't even walls. People walked through them. You know what I mean? Like, like we, didn't have, we didn't have separate space for this and for that. We didn't have an, an actual stage. We didn't have a decent sound system. We didn't have a building. And now a year later, out of the ground, seemingly, just comes this, this new space that God just opens up this door and we walk into it and, and people jump in and people give toward it and it just happens. And God has been bringing, and that's true in the physical world, but beyond that, I see not just the building of the church, but I see programs growing. We didn't really have a, a youth ministry 2.0. We didn't have cardboard wars a year ago. You know what I'm saying? Stuff is growing out. Stuff is growing. Leaders are growing out of the ground. People are stepping up into leadership that weren't in leadership before. People are serving that weren't serving before. People are finding freedom in Christ. We baptized, what, six people a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and it, like, like, like just, it's just it's coming out of the ground. God is bringing harvest out. God is bringing fruit forth. And it's exciting to see. And it's exciting to step forward in obedience to the word of God and to see him do the those things. And it's exciting to see people step out of caves. It's exciting to hear about Nick going through rehab, being in a better place, getting free of his addiction. And Nick's not the only one. I mean, this year alone, I, I, could, I, could, I could write a whole bunch of names of people who have left behind alcohol addiction, 
I left behind drug addiction, left behind pornography addiction, left behind anger, left behind food addictions. It's amazing. The, 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 the harvest that is coming out of this place. And I'm so encouraged by it. And I want to encourage you to jump into it because it's, we haven't done anything special. We haven't, we're not super Christians and super strong or super smart. In fact, we probably lack a little bit in a lot of those areas. <laughs> we just, we just, we're just, we're just gullible enough to believe that God can do what he says he'd do. And we're like, okay, God, if you're calling me to step out of this addiction, then I'm going to take a step. And I'm going to make a decision. And it's, and, 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 and it's a real decision. It's, it's, a, it's a real choice. If God, like, like you may have tried several times and it never worked, but when God speaks to you, it's not you trying anymore. It's his grace working in you, empowering you to step out of what has held you captive for years. That's why so many people are stepping out of addiction. Not because we got some new sense of willpower and, and gusto and we're finally ready. And we're, no, like you'll never be so sick and dark. You'll, you'll, you'll be Shrek, you know? Like you'll never get yourself out of the cave. The shepherd comes and helps you out of the mess you got yourself into and the, the, the addiction you got yourself stuck in and the mindset that you tricked yourself into believing. The escape, the place you ran to for escape. God knows why you ran there. He's not going to judge you when he finds you bleeding away inside of the cave. He just wants to take you out of the cave and take you back to the pasture where you belong. He wants to free you of yourself. He wants to free you of the weight that you've been carrying around. And he can do it in a moment. Would you bow your heads and pray with me for just a minute? And I want to offer that to, to everyone here today, that if, if God's speaking to you and you know you need to take a step, I'm not saying you got to take 30 steps. I mean, there's just one step. There's one thing. There's the next step that God's calling you to. I feel like God's calling different people. In fact, just as your, your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. If you've been, if you've been set free, if you're one of those people I'm talking about, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you're 12 months free from something, whatever it is. It might be anger. It might be uh, some kind of addiction. It might be some. But if there's been a harvest of something in your life and it's been about a year that you've been walking in that freedom, would you just raise your hand and keep it up? I, I just like to see that. 12 months, 12 months. Just, just go ahead and keep it up. If you, maybe you're newer and Maybe if you've been walking in freedom for six months from something, would you join with these people and your hands up? Join, if it's been six months for you, the freedom. If it's been three months for you, would you raise your hand? Join with these hands right here. These are hands of worship right now and thanksgiving to God. If it's been 10 days, would you raise your hand and just say, I've been 10 days free of something, free of guilt, free of shame, free of, I don't know what it might be. That's awesome. Those hands are up. Father, you see our hands in worship and in praise. And now if you would like to be free, 
If there's something you say, I haven't been 30 minutes free, but there's something that I definitely want to be free of, would you raise your hand and join with these hands that are up all around this room? (laughs) Father, we come before you. We ask for your your power in our lives. We thank you. We come both with thanksgiving, uh, all these hands that are raised for your testimony. And some people raise two hands because they've been free of something for six months, but there's something else that they're dealing with. And so God, we we come before you and we thank you for your power, the power of your word, the the potential that's wrapped up inside of a word. Uh, But Lord, many of us are still dealing with things, struggling with things, stuck in things. And so we bring those to you right now and we ask for you to bring us out of our cave. We ask for you to call our name. We ask for you like Lazarus, you stood in front of the grave and you called out his identity. You listed him by name and he came out of the tomb. Lord, as as, as you have done so many times, bringing so many different dead people and dead things and dead situations to life, we, we call on your power. We're raising our hand right now, actually just reaching out for a hand. We're, st- we're like Shrek in a cave. We need a shepherd to grab a hold of a hoof. We need a shepherd to grab a hold of us and carry us out of a place that we can't walk out of. We need your grace in our life. And so we respond to the offer that you've laid before us, the offer of freedom. You said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So we receive that life today. We receive your power in us and we choose to make that one step. One step, whatever that step is for us, we choose to take that one step today. If it's a text message, if it's an email, if it is joining a small group, if it is making a commitment to Sunday morning church, if it is giving, if it, if, if it is uh, reconciling with somebody, if it's calling somebody up and, and apologizing for ways that we've been, it, whatever that next step might be, whether it's forgiveness or, 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 or simply reading the scripture or simply, simply uh, praying every day. Maybe you're calling us to talk to you in the mornings. Maybe you're calling us to, to a deeper level of, 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 of a walk with you. Maybe you're calling us to serve others and to give to others. Whatever it might be, we say yes to you, to our next step. We say yes to you for this for this moment, we'll take a step. We might not get all the way out of the cave tomorrow, but we'll, we'll take a step out toward the light and out toward our purpose and out toward what you've called us to do. We don't want to die never knowing what our reason was, why we were born. We want to find you and find why you created us and why you put these things inside of us. We want to use them for your glory, for your kingdom, to be a blessing, to be a help, to lift up somebody, to make our world better, to make our country better. Not just complain about it, not just wait for politicians to form policies, but but to actually love our neighbor, to actually, to actually be the change that we're looking for, to actually freely give, to actually allow our world to keep somebody else warm. Instead of complaining about the homeless situation, to actually love on the homeless people. Lord, we, we choose to be your hands and your feet, to be used by you in this, in this generation, in this time. We want to, we want to be more than just uh, stuck on ourselves and just, just building up our empire and our life. We want to pour ourselves out for others and be a blessing to others. We want the world to be a better place because we were here. We want people to know you because we were here. 
because we showed them you. In Jesus' name. I pray that you bless all of our families here. Bless our home lives. Bless our, our rising up and our laying down. Bless us in our workplaces. Open up doors for us. Open up our eyes to the kingdom that is all around us, this kingdom of God that is at hand. We choose to give you all the glory for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for joining us today. Um, if you have teenagers ages 12 to 18, join us on Wednesday night. If you like decorating Christmas stuff, join us uh, Saturday. Uh, otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday. And if you'd like to pray, uh, Pete, how about you just leave that music going? I'd like to just leave this front here open for anyone that would like to join the hands of somebody and pray. If you're facing something, some, some addiction that's mighty strong for you, uh, Michelle will be up here to pray with you. I'll be up here to pray with you. I just want to make ourselves available to you for maybe 10 minutes here after service closes. Uh, if you need to go on out, that, that's good. Um, collect your kids and have a wonderful day. We'll be up here praying with folks. You're dismissed. God bless you. See you later. Amen.